right, welcome back to E-Lunch and Board Game. I'm your host, Adam Collins, and joining me once again, because he's a glutton for punishment, is Joe Slack, author, game developer, and now publisher of games. Joe, how you doing? I'm doing great, Adam. Thanks for having me back. Oh, absolutely. When you uh, asked to come back on the show, I thought at first, really? Sure. Why not? <laughs> so I, as we were talking, I think the only new question that I have since the last time you were on the show that I ask all my guests now is in a board game with colors as different pawn pieces or, or whatever for that game, what color do you gravitate towards? Well, although it's not always an option in all games, I prefer black, actually. That's <laughs> my favorite color. But quite often, you know, you break open a game and that's not an option. So if I must... I'll go with the backup color of either red or blue. Those those are safe. Those are safe. Those tend to be in most games. Yes. Black. Yeah, not so much. Not so much. So you've got a an expansion pack coming out to your game Relics that I will let you go ahead and say because I'll butcher it. Yeah, Relics of Rajavahara. All right. And you've got an expansion pack coming out on Kickstarter September 7th. I missed it as we talked about the first time, but you've assured me that this time around the base game will be a, a black a backer tier where you can back and get the base game and the expansion. So I'm looking forward to getting it this time. For sure. Yeah. So uh, last year, it's just over a year ago, I launched uh, the Kickstarter for Relics of Rajavahara. And since that time, I've been making sure that's getting fulfilled to everybody. And that's just wrapping up right now. So it's it's time to go ahead with uh, the next version. Everybody's been really positive about it. And I've been working on more levels, more new challenges um, over the course of the last year since then. Um, so that's come together really well. So I'm going to be launching on September 7th, the Montalo's Revenge, which is uh, when our nemesis uh, returns in some format that you'll have to find out. Um, and you'll have a whole bunch of new challenges. So like you said, uh, the there will be tiers for the the base game. So if anybody missed out on that, they'll be able to get that or the expansion or both. Well, sign me up for both. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I missed the first one. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to get the base game and the expansion this time around. So so uh, you said last time uh, that you did play games with your lunchtime group before you went as they like to say, you went pro and now do this full time, which is awesome, by the way. Thanks. Uh, and so you had an interesting statistic that every single one of your games that has made it published, you play tested at some point with that group. Yeah, it's true. Uh, we were just talking about this just before the interview. And I was thinking about it this morning. I was like, yeah, I playtested so many games with them and every single one that I can think of. So King of Indecision, Kingdoms Candy Monsters, Forward Thinking, Zoo Year's Eve, and Relics of Rajahara at least once, usually multiple times. Um, I brought it to my uh, my gaming group at, at work. We used to meet every Monday and uh, play games. And usually it's the same crew. Some, you know, some people would join in. Uh, some weeks that that weren't there, or you know, maybe they had to work through their lunch sometimes. Uh, but we had a good core group, anywhere between about four and eight people. And yeah, I brought after bringing some published games and getting everybody come kind of familiar and comfortable with some of them. I started to ask, you know, oh, would you mind if I brought in a game I'm working on? You know, I, I I design games too, and everybody was super enthusiastic. They're like, oh, cool, you work on games, or oh, I heard you had. So sure. So um, over the course of you know 
multiple years, I brought in some of those prototypes and got some fantastic feedback from, you know, a different group that I wouldn't have played with otherwise. And yeah, it just so happens that every single one that got published, I brought at least once or twice to that group, which is pretty cool. So kind of like a good luck charm. <laughs> it must have been. So hopefully uh, moving forward, if you have any new ideas, you can uh, just kind of call them up, head back over there, meet them up for lunch on a Monday and just never know. <laughs> hey, it can't be, it can't go, you know, can't hurt, right? Exactly. More play tests, the better, right? You know that. Oh, absolutely. The more play tests, the more different people you can get to play test. Oh, you can never, you can never have too many play testing. You can, you can have some not so great feedback at times, but that only, that only helps your game become better. Absolutely. It's all necessary. Um, it's, it's sometimes hard to hear that when you need to bring the game and you just made a change. You thought, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then it just completely falls apart or people don't like that part. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, it didn't work. Okay, back to the drawing board. But at least, you know, you need that information in order to make your game better. That's the only way it's going to become better. Yes. And and sometimes, you you know, you've got to, you know, what say, what's the saying? You got to kill your babies to make, you know, every now and then something you really like, but just isn't working out in, in this specific game. You, it's hard, but you got to cut it loose. Absolutely. Yeah. Kill your darlings is what they say, which That's is a harsh term, it but it's absolutely necessary. <laughs> That's what it is. Kill your baby sounds way worse. <laughs> <laughs> we'll forget I said that. Also, since the last time you were on, you released your fourth book. Yeah, it was uh, the Board Game Designer's Guide to Careers in the Industry. So uh, what I did was, uh, you know, you hear so many people talking about wanting to get into the industry. And the, the problem is everybody wants to be a game designer. And it's, it's I kind of make the uh, the comparison to a, to a band, like let's say a rock band. Everybody can't be the singer, right? You need, you know, you need the bass, you need the guitar, you need the drums, you need, you know, uh, somebody on keyboards or whatnot. You need the full complement that makes up the band. And just like you have, you know, agents, and you know marketing people and the record label and all these other people you can't just have all game designers so uh you know some people are 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 you know filled with all these other great skills that could be really really helpful in the board game industry anything from project management to game development to rulebook writing or content writing to marketing uh, to art direction there's so many other varied roles and careers that you could potentially get into so what I did was I, I was really looking at that and thinking, you know, I, I talked about from my own experience of what I've seen, but I also wanted to talk to a lot of people who work in the industry in some of these roles. So I talked to people in, you know, all those different roles that I mentioned and a whole lot more to talk about how they got into the industry, how they found out, um, do they work full time? Do they work part time? How do they go about, you know, building up their reputation and that type of thing? So it was a really interesting journey hearing from all these people. And I just wanted to take that information and share it back with people who might be thinking about how can I get into the industry and to think about some roles that might be great for them. They might have those particular skill sets and not even realize how helpful they could be in the industry and fill some gaps. No, absolutely. I, I know we kind of had a, a joke where you said, find your niche, mm -hmm. you know, find your niche. And uh, so I, I loaded up your pot or your audiobook immediately and just started like going through it chapter by chapter, just, I just inhaled the book. It was a really great book. Uh, the audio book on it was fantastic because um, I could put it on, listen to it while I worked, and I, and I totally did. And I emailed you. Uh, we got a couple editing errors, and I said, see, I found my niche. My niche <laughs> is to be an audiobook editor. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, that was a good one. There's a couple great contacts in there, people that, um, like you said, not only do game design, people that do rule book editing, uh, people that 
have websites dedicated to just board game nerd paraphernalia, you know, t-shirts, mugs, stickers, the whole nine, you know, there's a lot to this industry more than just board game design. I've interviewed artists, board game designers, developers, even a lady who did cross stitches. Like she was a big board game, uh, Dungeons and Dragons nerd. And she created board game Dungeons and Dragons themed cross stitch patterns that she was selling on Etsy. And I'm like, I do cross stitch and this looks great. I'm going to do it. So uh, there's all kinds of fun things you can do. Um, so, or you could be a podcaster about board games. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's tons of ton- content creators, right? There's everything from, you know, the people who do reviews, previews, rule overviews, podcasts, blogs, and, and all these other adjacent industries, like you're, like you're saying, people who make, you know, merchandise, cause you know, us geeks, we want to show off our love for games, right? So with mugs and t-shirts and posters and that kind of thing, um, catch a how it's in. I was part of uh, some some groups online. She does a board game calendar. She does these amazing pieces of art that are just all components. She gets all these components from all different games and will make up something that looks like, you know, one of the birds from Wingspan or something like that. And then photograph it. Oh, it looks fantastic. Yep. But it's just all game tidbits. Oh, yeah, totally. So, I mean, there's all sorts of things you can get into. Just You just got to figure out what people need, what the what the needs are out there. And and maybe you have that talent to do something that, you know, people are going to love. Yeah, I mean, I there's, like you said, content is crazy. I watch a lot of how-tos, a lot of rule overviews. Um, there's one of the crazier things I, I, I see a lot of is the unboxing videos. And I always think that's just kind of weird. But man, that is that is a huge industry of not just board games, but I bought this new blah, 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 and I'm going to open it up on camera and tell you what it is. And I'm going to make millions of dollars. Like, Yeah. It's, it's amazing that those have become so popular Unboxings <laughs> and, and people watching other people play video games and now people watching other people play board games. And I mean, I guess in some ways, like how I got started was a little bit through um, Will Wheaton and yep. uh, and tabletop and uh, you know my wife discovering that through a friend and then saying oh we got to go out and buy these five games right now okay well let's go do it and, i'm pretty uh, sure yeah the first that's really what got me fully into this uh in this great hobby is will wheaton's tabletop i mean i did the same thing as your wife i'm watching it writing down the names of the games and like See if I can go find this one. So oh, this one looks good. And then the next thing you know, you've bought half the episodes worth of games. <laughs> yeah. And then you go play some other games and go to some <laughs> cafes and some events. And every game you play, this game is awesome. And you need to own it for yourself. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess he kind of started off that. that Well, that was one of the earlier ones that uh, you're watching people play games. But I mean, it was it was very engaging the way that they recorded it and had the discussions and, you know, you'd have them kind of off camera kind of talking. It was almost like kind of like documentary style and game at the same time and just having fun with it. So, I mean, they, yeah. they, they really hit the, the nail on the head with that. Yeah. That show is uh, deeply missed by the community. I know. Cause oh, yeah. I wish that was coming back there. That had some great, Oh man. So many episodes. I, my son has watched the formula D episode so many times. Because one, he loves the game, but two, he just loves the episode, and <laughs> and he just sits there and watches it all the time. It's it's kind of weird, but you know, hey. So, 
the expansions, one thing I want to talk to you about was how we tr- we had a successful Kickstarter campaign with Fences. And then we tried to launch an expansion pack for it called The Ranch. And it's a whole different animal launching an expansion versus launching a base game. And we kind of, we were all, we, we put all into practice everything we learned from the first go around. But it almost is a completely different animal to do an expansion than it is to do a base game. What kind of differences have you found and what kind of things have you put in place to help negate that difference? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. Um, an expansion versus kind of a base game, they're, they are totally different animals. I mean, when you're looking at expansion, uh, a big portion of that is going going back to the well, as you might say, um, going back to the people who already purchased your original base game and then asking them if they, you know, do you want more content? Do you want something else to add to the game to, you know, add to the experience, to add more content, whatever the case may be. So it's absolutely a different approach. Um, I think one of the ways that, that you can mitigate that as well is to include your base game as well as part of the campaign, whether it's, you know, a reprint or just as an option as part of, uh, you know, the, those tiers. And, you know, I'm definitely including that myself because there's always going to be those people who missed your first campaign and have heard about it since and are really interested. Like um, for Relics, uh, for example, there's a lot of people who have been, you know, posting about the game and other people are jumping on and saying, oh, I missed this one or where can I get it? And some people, one person even today was like, um, can I, I, I just want to give you my money. Where can I give you my money? <laughs> Which is always nice to hear. Um, but, you know, including the base game in that so that, uh, people who missed your f- campaign the first time or came uh, or saw it late and contacted you and, and said, oh, I, I really want this. Let me know where I can get it. And then you can get them to sign up for email list and that type of thing. So having that option so people can buy the base game, they can buy the expansion. If they are new to your game, they can buy both, um, especially if you have, you know, a good deal, you know, a couple couple dollars off or something like that. Or, you know, you save on shipping because you're getting two things at once. Um, those are a couple opportunities uh, to bring people in. So it's it's partially about getting your current backers and customers to come back, but also bringing new people in. And I think part of it too, I, I learned this, I believe it was from um, Everdell. I believe that they launched their expansion fairly shortly after the original game was delivered, um, within a couple months anyways. It's a good time to go be going back to your audience because they're still excited about your game. You know, they've just received it. They've just started to play it. They're talking about it. They're telling their friends about it. They're posting about it because it's it's new. Everybody loves the nice new thing. So if people are still excited about that and then you say, hey, I've got some more stuff uh, and they're already enjoying the game, it's much more likely that they're going to say, oh, cool. I want, I, I'd love more content because, you know, by the time I've played this a lot or I've, you know, gone through the campaign or whatnot, I'm going to be looking for more stuff. So I know it's going to be a while, you know, Kickstarter with Kickstarter games, you can expect it to take a while, six months, a year, or sometimes more for a game to be delivered. Um, so you want them excited about it then, as opposed to coming, coming to them later when, you know, they've already moved on to the next new game, that kind of thing. And they're not as excited about it. So, um, you know, approaching them while they're still excited about the game, giving them the option to uh, get the, the base or the expansion, that type of thing. And, you know, my campaign's still over a month away as, as we speak right now. So I've got to kind of figure out the marketing for that as well. But I think for the most part, my marketing's going to be uh, based around trying to get people interested in the base game. 
because it's you know going for the new people and then for those who are already uh, backers you know just letting them know here's the notification here's some things that are coming out maybe give a couple little spoilers a little couple little teasers about oh, here's what you can you know expect with the expansion that kind of thing and just give them incentives to to come back and uh and you know try the the new content yeah absolutely it's because you are trying to mobilize two different people right you're trying to mobilize like you said the existing backers your existing people and you're trying to mobilize a new group and i think where we really struggled was getting the was catering more to the new group the people that didn't have our game already and you know, Kickstarter, you really got about three days, four days at the beginning to to make your presence known. And after that, you start falling down that logarithm and, you know, the organic finding is slow. So we didn't make a lot of changes until about a weekend. And it was just almost it was too little too late or too much too late or too something too late for sure. And that that kind of hurt us. So. We pulled it. We've moved on for right now. Got other stuff in the queue, and we're excited for what we've got coming. And we're like, yeah, we've always, you know, when we get everything rolling, we've we've got the expansions already. Which, you know, the expansions for our game came from ideas that we didn't put into the base game. We wanted the base game to be kind of straightforward. This is how the game works, and then all the expansions are. Well, now this can happen or now this can happen. And now instead of doing this, you can do this. And there's, oh man, now I'm blanking. I think there's like nine different ways to play, to augment the game, to change the, a little bit of the rules to the game. And so we had to, with nine different ones, we had to play test every one of them, right? Mm-hmm. So we had, you know, luckily we had our coworkers and, we were, I just remember playing one of them was the tractor, the tractor expansion. We were playing it at work and we're like, whoa, this is not working out. And so we, so we stopped midway through and one of the guys that was like, you know, just running with the game was like, oh, I think it's working out fine. Well, <laughs> well for the one that's winning, sure. <laughs> right. But there's no way to get it. You know, the whole thing was he would never lose control of the tractor. And we're like, we have to, you have to lose control of the tractor. Well, why? Because you're running away with the game because you're the one that has a tractor. And so being able to, to go back and they already knew our game well, because, you know, again, we play tested fences with our coworkers a lot. So they were familiar with the base game. So bringing in all the expansions, like one or two at a time, we'd be at op- I remember at the end, we were trying to finish up at the beginning of COVID. And I would hang my cell phone from the kit or the dining room light fixture to shine down on the table and invite my phone to the meeting so we could play the game. (laughs) And we had the game on the table. My son's on one side, I'm on the other. And then we've got two, two of my coworkers are on the call and we're trying to play this game (laughs) with, with this phone suspended from the light fixture. So that everybody could see we had to put a, we had to put a uh, a note that was north, so we knew which way. So we so you could say, no, no, go north with that piece. No, no, go east. And so we knew which way that was just based on where the inn was that day, because the phone would always orient some way weird. So yeah, we played we were playtesting into COVID, 
uh, the last few of the expansions for fences. So it was, it was definitely a fun experience, but yeah, using our, using your coworkers, anybody listening, use your coworkers. They, they, they are a wealth of free play testers. <laughs> yeah. And most likely will be very interested. They're like, Oh, cool. You do this on the side too. That's, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. But you brought up another great point there too. Uh, the different types of expansions too. So uh, with fences, it sounds like yours is more adding more strategy, more depth, you know, changing the game, how, how you play it in some way, in some manner for relics of Rajvahara. Um, I'm taking a different approach because it's very much campaign driven, level driven. I'm adding more content. So there's a little bit of a difference there. You're, you're going to change the way that the game plays. I'm going to be adding more to what they already know and just kind of building on that. So uh, there might be something to be said about that too. I, I don't know which one in general is a more successful approach. Obviously, it's got to be based on the game, which approach you're going to take. It just wouldn't make sense in some cases to, uh, you know, to go in one direction or the other. Uh, but I'd be really interested to, to hear, you know, which types of expansions generally do better. Cause I, I think there's, there's quite a, a broad uh, range that you can actually apply in terms of expansions. No, absolutely. We were just playing downforce, the car racing game, and they just put out new tracks, you know, you change, you, you bend the, you bend a new track all up and that changes how, you know, how you play your cards. And, you know, now they've got this last one they put out again, right at the beginning of COVID added ramps. So you, I'm like, okay, you're a bit off theme here because you don't see a lot of indie cars ramping, but you know, Hey, I'll take it. But you know, that was a whole different kind of expansion versus, you know, even like you're adding new levels, they added new tracks, which same gameplay, just different track and then uh, like you said with ours is augmenting gameplay so then you got you know the expansions to wingspan which just add more birds <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and specific to regions so people you know living in that region or interested in that region may may be interested in seeing that yeah and i, I think i've heard a figure of about roughly about 30 percent and it's it's very give or take but that's about the percentage of people that i've heard will go and back an expansion after they've uh, bought the the base game. And, and of course that can vary a lot. And I, I, that's just what I recall. So I may be a little bit off there too. So you can't necessarily expect, uh, you know, as many people are gonna buy. So let's say you have a Kickstarter and you sell a thousand copies of your game and then you go and release your expansion. You know, you're probably looking at somewhere in the ballpark of about 300 games or, or some, somewhere around there, give or take. Plus you might have some, you know, new people who buy the base game if you're offering that and the expansion at the same time, but you, you're likely going to be doing a smaller print run if you're doing this on your own through a Kickstarter or other crowdfunding campaign, as opposed to, you know, just going direct to retail if you have the distribution network and that, and that type of thing. But the good thing with an expansion is there's some familiarity with the game already. And there, there are going to be some people who are going to jump on it right, right away because they love the base game and they will buy anything you know new uh that's going to come out for it as opposed to so some publishers might take that approach as opposed to putting out a brand new game because the brand new game there's a lot of question marks um is it going to do as well as this other one like look look at uh, pandemic for example they have many many different versions and expansions for that um, they know that works so they can come up with a cthulhu version and they can come up with different regions of the world and a dice dice version and all sorts of different things 
and they know, you know, this isn't going to sell as many copies as the original pandemic, but we're okay with that because it's already sold millions, you know, percent <laughs> or whatever percent of that many million is still a lot of copies and probably <laughs> more sure bet than putting out, you know, game X, whatever the next one is that's pitched to them. Sure. 30, 30% of a million is still a significant number of yeah, I'd, I'd take that many sales games. I'd take that anyway. Yeah, would that be like the best problem to have? Man, what am I going to do with all these hundreds of thousands of sales? Oh, no. <laughs> First world problems. Yeah, man, I hope, you're, I hope you have that problem with your uh, expansion <laughs> pack here. <laughs> Remember Joe? He, he, he pulled all of his hair out because he sold too many games. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I'm excited for your new one. Um, I'm looking... Like I said, your fourth book, I, I think I devoured it in uh, two days. Do you have another book line, lined up? Another book idea? <laughs> oh, I always have lots of ideas. But no, I've, <laughs> I've been uh, fairly busy with uh, preparing for this this expansion and for the Kickstarter and just finishing the the fulfillment of the, the previous campaign. That's kept me fairly busy. So uh, the ideas are there, but uh, on the back burner at the moment. So did you do your own fulfillment or did you have a third party help you out both uh multiple third parties yeah it would have been uh quite an undertaking to be shipping that many games all over the world and uh you know filling up my garage for so long and whatnot um i yeah i used multiple partners i used actually four different partners in different regions um it felt that that was the best approach because they know their regions very well um and i was also able to give my backers the best price that way it did it did mean splitting up shipments going to different areas uh but it all worked out pretty well that's impressive. That's awesome. No, we did it all ourselves, and I do not recommend that. <laughs> that yes. was a that was a lot of work. I can I, I can tell you that right now. We did it all ourselves, and whoo, we did have the advantage of uh, not filling up our garages. But we we had a we work on our place of employment. We have a warehouse, and so we just let the warehouse guy know, hey. There's a skid coming with a bunch of board games on it. And he's like, okay. And it showed up. They like put it over in the corner. And it <laughs> as we were we were just grabbing cases and shipping them out case by case. And you know, we eventually got all the way down and the leftover stock we threw in his car and my car. And so they're in my basement, his attic. But yeah, <laughs> I don't think either one of our wives have been happy if uh, two skids of board games just showed up at one of our houses. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you got no pump cart or uh, forklift or anything to move things around. So yeah, you're just kind of stuck with whatever they, whatever they put them. Yeah, hey, we're just going to leave these in the middle of the street, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they won't get wet. No damage or anything there. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, good for you. That's awesome to have broke it out to four different ones like that. That's. Yeah, well, Adam, you actually mentioned um, overstock as well, which is something I was going to mention too, which which is uh, a handy thing too when you're running um, an expansion campaign, especially when you're including the base. Uh, because let's say you know you sell you know a, a thousand games on your first Kickstarter. Uh, generally, publishers will get more copies than that made, uh, you know, because you know the occasional game will get damaged, lost in transit, that kind of thing. So you always want to have some extra copies. But you also have to think about you know what you want to do with your game beyond kickstarter um are you going to get your game into retail you're going to sell it on amazon you're going to sell it from your own site go to conventions um or you know run further kickstarters so it's always good to have some extra copies the, the big question is how many extra copies <laughs> you want because you know some publishers will get stuck with like i said a garage fulls of of games they can't sell uh so you don't want to overdo it 
But if you do have some leftover copies, that can also be helpful too, because uh, generally an expansion is going to be less expensive to produce and, and you'll be selling it for less than the base game. So you can have a lower funding goal for that um, Kickstarter for the expansion. And also if you include the base game in there, those base game sales, they're going to contribute to your funding goal as well. So it'll be easier to hit that funding goal. And if you have some of that overstock, you don't even necessarily have to worry about getting another print run done. If you have say four or 500 extra copies and you know you get a few hundred extra orders, you've already got them there, they're already paid for, they're already being stored, they're ready to go. Um, so that can contribute to your funding goal and you can have them ready to go. And if it's really successful and you get a lot of new backers, it'll be enough to generate another print run, which is always good too, because you can keep that game in circulation. So overstock is not necessarily a bad thing as long as you have some way to move that inventory. <laughs> Yeah, they, that's the key, right? Otherwise, your significant other starts going, are these boxes going to be here forever? And you have to kind of be like, maybe. <laughs> and then they're asking, and, and you want to run another Kickstarter? How many boxes do you need for these games? Oh, my goodness. You can't run another one until all these boxes are gone. <laughs> Sell every single one of these copies before you can run another one. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that might be harder to do. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. That's finding them like you know under the bed and in the closet and stuff. I thought you got rid of all these. <laughs> it's hiding behind the coffee. <laughs> I can just see that. Like, see, it's like my kids putting their toys away, right? Like, it's, they're not put away. They're just hidden from view. Off <laughs> on the shelf all year round here. What's going on? Exactly. Like, man, I thought you put all these cars up. No, you just told me to get them out of that room. Yeah, you push them to the edge of the room, buddy. <laughs> Got to be more specific about this. Come on. Yeah, the precision of speech. That's the, from the giver. That's a way my wife and always my wife and I always say is it's precision of speech. <laughs> <laughs> So, Joe, I'd like to thank you for being on today. Um, I really I wish you luck, man, and I can't wait. September 7th, I will make sure to blast that out on my Facebook page as well when it launches. I may not be your first backer, but I'll try to be within the first dozen. <laughs> as long as I can. I try to hit those early numbers when I can, but I'm excited for it, like I said. Um, I look forward to it. I look forward to any other books that you, you want to write because I – love to read them <laughs> and i keep and, reading more and more and i know you're great listening through the podcast so we've already <laughs> talked about this you can do the the, the last run through before it goes in. that's that's right <laughs> find your niche my niche is <laughs> yeah. listening to podcasts and recordings so thanks again for coming on and anytime you want to come on if you want to be the first person to come on for a third time by all means let me know wow awesome well thanks so much adam it was uh, a lot of fun chatting with you I had lots of laughs and a uh, great conversation thanks again yep and for those of you who want to reach out to me, it is facebook.com slash eatlunchandboardgame or email me at eatlunchandboardgame at gmail.com. And remember, board games build bridges. Stay in tune with all things sports around Indiana and the nation with the Crash Course Podcast. Each week, we tackle the big storylines from the world of the Colts, Pacers, and the Indiana College scene, while also keeping a pulse on the nation. We record live weekly at twitch.tv slash 3C Media, and can be found on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts can be heard, you can catch the Crash Course Podcast. When you're gaming, why not be comfy? Go over to supportplayer.org. Click on the cards, pieces, and dice to get some merch. 
These t-shirts are some of the most comfortable I have ever worn. That's supportplayer.org, and there's a link on eatlunchandboardgame.com. 